Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 3, 1-21 There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Good morning, Candeo. How are you guys doing? Good, Great. And thank you guys for joining us online. I'm excited to be with you. My name is Ernie. I'm the church planner. I'm going to be going to Cincinnati this summer to start a church and a place that we think is in desperate need of one on a campus that is in desperate need of a college ministry like the Salt Network. And we are so excited to do that. And we were just blown away last week. We had a family dinner. Almost 50 people showed up to that, had dinner with us, heard some vision, prayed, talked. Great opportunity to investigate where they were. And we've just been blown away by the faith of our church and people around us that are already putting their names on the table and saying, let's go. And, and, it, and you know what? Our table isn't full. We still need a lot more people to go, yeah, I need to go. I need to do this. And so we're still praying that God moves some of you into that category. So we'd love for you to show up next Sunday and hang out with us. And I think it would be, it's going to be good food at the very least. One of, our, one of our elders is cooking barbecue and he cooked some pulled pork for me. I was like, oh my goodness, that's the best pulled pork I've ever had. And I've been living in Texas for the last six years. So I was like, we, we need some of that. It's going to be Pretty incredible. But if you don't know me, I got three kids, uh, Jackson, Ella, and Gracie. Uh, I need to be careful about what I say now when I tell stories about them because they hear them because they're watching these sermons now. And uh, they'll especially be watching this one. And I, my son is seven, 
And a couple of years ago, and hold back your judgment on me on this for a second, I, we got him into some video games. And, and uh, you know, some are like, ooh, that you're the worst. Okay, don't listen to his parenting, okay? Look, we have moderation. He doesn't play it all the time. There's limitations on it, and there's good reason for all we do it. Mom needs to take a nap from time to time, okay? And, uh, and COVID happened. That's, that's really what happened. So uh, I grew up playing video games. I didn't play them all the time, but I grew up, remember I had a Super Nintendo? I remember after that I had a Nintendo 64, and I remember trying to play with my dad, and he didn't grow up with video games, all right? And so I would whoop him, and I loved it. It was like one of my favorite things because he beat me at basketball. He beat me at everything. He had kind of the mindset of like, never let your son win, you know? And so when I get to play him in like NCAA and I was beating him so bad, he just put the controller down and said, "Court says I quit and walk away. There was a victory moment in there, but there was also a moment like, no, let's keep playing. I want to keep doing this with you. And so I wanted to be the kind of dad that could still whoop his kids at video games, okay? And I don't play a lot of them because I don't have any time. You know, but I still have like systems around from when I was in college. And so I remember when Jackson turned like six and his friends started, he started asking about it. I'm like, hey, well, we can play this NCAA game. And I just smoked him. I was like doing the Heisman. I was running the score up. I was terrible, okay? And I was just, but I was just, I, I was having the time of my life beating my six-year-old son at playing a video game. This is amazing. And then we got him a Switch. And we got him a Switch because we were like, okay, let's not get him into one of these narrative games where he's just stuck in it all the time, but we'll play. We got him this game we heard Super Smash Brothers. Some of you know what that is? I had no idea what that is. That was after my Nintendo time, okay? So he starts playing this game with his friends and I sit down because I'm good at video games in his eyes and in my mind, I'm really good at video games and I'm expecting to just spank him at it. Like I'm just gonna take him to town and I have no idea what is happening in this game. Like I am button mashing, just pushing buttons, have no idea what to do. And he is laughing at me. It's come full circle now. He is laughing at me. He's making fun. He's like, oh, look at that. I just went, I don't even understand the scoring. You know, like all of a sudden I'm up to 129%. I'm out. I don't know what it even means. You know, and he's just whooping me like this. And I just put it down. And what I realized at that moment is I realized that I'm not good at video games. That I'm good at a couple of games, but I wasn't good at the game that mattered at that moment. You know, I'm sitting there playing it and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm good. I got it. I, I know this. I'm going to smoke him. I think I have everything I need to, to beat him at this, but I don't because I'm good at these games, but I'm not good at that. And, and while we're talking about video games, which has little to do with our passage today and more to talk about my son beating me, which is going to be really excited about it. Some of us, when it comes to God, our relationship works that way, that we have an idea that we got this thing figured out that we're good at this game that we're playing, but we realize we're playing the wrong game. Like we think that we're following God by trying to be a better person, getting our life cleaned up. For us, morality equals relationship with God. And when we play that game, we know what it brings about. It brings about frustration. You know, and some, it brings out frustration. For some of us, we think we're good at it, but for others, we know we're really, really bad at it but we know it's a game. But the result of that game is always the same. It leaves us frustrated, coming up short, measure, never measuring up, and in terror of the moment that we'll face God because we don't know if our performance will be good enough to be in relationship with him at that moment. And here's the thing, one day we're gonna face God. And if that's your mindset, you're gonna be in a place of terror. 
because you're going to be like, did I do enough? Was it good enough? Did my good outweigh my bad? Will he be pleased to see me because of how well I've done here? If that's you in the room, if that's your DNA, the performance before God moment, then you're in the right place because we're going to look at a story in John 3 about a guy who has based his life in following God about his performance, and he feels pretty good about his performance. And he has a sit down with God. And what God is going to show him is that he's become really good at playing the wrong games. And I think if we pay attention to this passage, if we listen to the lessons it has to share with us, we won't live a frustrated, never measuring up, lack of joy, and in terror of God life. But we'll understand this, that relationship with God is not about your performance, but it's about a wholesale transformation of your life that God brings about in you. Let's pray, and we're going to look at John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to dig into your word. And Lord, I know that there's some of us in this room that this feels like an elementary lesson. But God, as we look at this passage, I pray that we would examine our heart. And while we haven't wholesale bought into performance religion, Lord, but there'd be places that we, look, we proclaim that we follow Christ by faith, through grace, by grace through faith, but there's areas that we live like we don't know God and we're still trying to perform for him. God, I ask that you would point those areas out because the purpose of this life, the purpose that we have in you is not just to avoid a place we don't wanna go to, but to be in relationship with you and experience this abundant life that your word talks about over and over and over again. God, we love you. Open our eyes to see what you have for us this morning. Amen. All right, verse one, he says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Write this down. Being religious is not enough. And when I talk about being religious, I'm talking about performance-based acceptance with God, that, that I am accepted by the level of what I am able to do for, are able to do for or with God. And here's Nicodemus. You don't know him. I kind of talk about this kind of conversation because it happens at night, like Nick at night, popular show growing up for me, programming happening. Nick comes to Jesus at night and he's trying to figure out who he is. And Nick's a religious guy. He's a professional at morality. He's a Pharisee. If you don't know what the Pharisees are, the Pharisees were a particular group of people, a, a particular religious sect of people that only had, and there was only a certain number of them, but their goal was to achieve salvation by keeping the law. In fact, when they became a Pharisee, they make a promise before three people that they, that they would live every moment of their life in submission to God's law. Every, every moment. In fact, they were so radical about it that they would wear these robes and they had boxes on their heads that had the Ten Commandments on it because the, because the Word of God said, keep the Ten Commandments on your mind always. So they put it literally on their foreheads and would walk around. These were people that wanted to find their relationship with God by keeping the rules. 
And they were very, they had a lot of zeal about it. Because they would look at the Ten Commandments and they would try to comply, they would try to, how does this work in every situation? Because it's just, and the problem with the Ten Commandments is it's too general for them. They're like, well, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? So they even wrote two books about what does that look like in which they would have rules like this, such as if an animal falls into the pit on the Sabbath, you couldn't help it out because you're working on the Sabbath. Or that you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath because then it would be considered work after X amount of steps. These guys were professional rule keepers. And he's coming to Jesus at night and he comes in the dark of night because he doesn't want to be found out. And later we see, as you heard Laura read this in verse 19, he says this to him, he says, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come in the light lest their works should be exposed. Jesus is looking at Nick and he's saying, you come to me dark because you don't want me to expose your religious hypocrisy. Because you know that you can't live up to the things you say you live up to. You know your life is full of pretense. Because religion is about pretense. And pretense is about faking it. And it's about lying about where you really are. Pretense is rebellion against reality. And guess what? Since God loves reality, he can't tolerate pretense. Look at the statement that Nick begins with. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with you. There's two ways to read that. That Nick is showing up as a confused seeker that's going, hey, are you the Messiah? Who are you? I'm willing to follow you. Are he showing up as a Pharisee that has a worldview and he's trying to figure out how does this guy fit into my worldview? I think it's the second. I mean, he says we. When he says we, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's coming as a representation of those people. And I don't know if you've ever read the gospel or heard the story. This is Jesus' first interaction with the Pharisees. The Pharisees have never said that Jesus is a teacher of God. They really don't like him. And anything they said about him is pretense. He may not have been as harsh of a critic as the others. And actually comes to faith later in the story of John. But at this moment, this is where he is. I think it's a, it's a platitude that he's giving at this moment, that he's kind of shaking hands with Jesus and saying, hey, good game, let's see what happens. I'm the teacher of teachers. I'm about to show you who's really a good teacher at this moment. But because we know at the end of chapter two, Jesus says he knows the heart of men. He realizes this and goes straight to the heart of Nicodemus and says, hey, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, it's sharp, just straight to the point statement. He doesn't respond in the like kind. And here's the thing. Nick wasn't offended. He was found out. God was, was speaking the truth to him and Nick knew it. He wasn't like, Jesus, you hurt my feelings. He was found out. He was exposed. Guys, if we want to be spiritually mature, you're going to have to lay down your capacity to be offended and take up a desire to be convicted. We're way too easily offended in the church. 
People come to us in our connection group. They speak, they, they notice dark sins that we've had for a long time. They notice areas of pretense where we say we're good. Like, and we're like, no, and, and we get offended by that. And what are, the statement I love is this. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. If you could just said it in a kinder way, they're saying the truth. Why are you hanging on the details instead of the true thing that's being said? Guys, if we're gonna be spiritually mature, we have to lay down our capacity to be offended and pick up a desire to be convicted. We gotta stop with the pretense. Look, I live in it, all right? Just if, you, if I show up to church, if there's four Sundays in the month, which there usually are, about two of them, I'm yelling at my kids before we close the door in the garage, close the door of our garage. I'm like, get in, put your shoes on, what are you doing? And I see you Sunday morning, I'm like, hey, everything's great, Jackson's amazing. The kids are awesome. I'm not going like, oh my gosh, the kids are driving me nuts right now. Put on the face. Gotta look good, gotta get my church clothes on. It's pretense. And pretense is rebellion against reality. And the real problem is that when we live in the world of pretense, we never get down to talking about the things that really matter. We just avoid them. And what I love about Jesus is in this conversation, he just dives right into the middle of it. I'm an eight in the Enneagram. I love that about Jesus. He's like, small talk isn't a thing. Look, I see your heart. This is the problem. This is what we're gonna deal with. Enough small talk. And what does he say? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's saying this to a guy who has dedicated his life to teaching people how to see the kingdom of God by living out a moral life. He just looked at him and said, guess what, Nicodemus, you teacher of teachers, your religious act is not good enough. And some of you need to hear that this morning because you're in here and your thought is, if I could just clean my life up enough, if I could just be a better Christian, then God would love me and I could be in relationship with him. I just need to be a better Christian. And what you need to hear is the exact words that Jesus is saying. He's saying it's not about self-improvement. It's about transformation. And Nicodemus can't believe it. Look at verse four. He says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when it is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He doesn't even understand it. And, and Jesus answers, truly, truly. When he says truly, truly, what he's saying, listen up, I'm saying something really important. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. It's about transformation, guys not self-improvement. And Nick is freaking out because he's thinking in terms of what's familiar. He's like, what do you mean? I got to climb back in my mom's stomach? Like it just, he can't even wrap his mind around it. It's beyond his experience. Nick doesn't see it because he is religious. And when you're religious, you only think in terms of the familiar. You only think in terms of, I do this, you do that. You only think about what fits the construct of your world. And Nick, his world has been built around doing and being good enough and being moral enough. And God is saying it's not good enough because morality doesn't equal relationship. Guys, there's gonna be a lot of virgins in hell. 
There's going to be a lot of people, a lot of people that are way more moral than all of you in hell. And there's going to be a lot of people that you think are worse than you in heaven. Because good people don't go to heaven, transform people do. It's about transformation. He's saying you need to be changed into something completely different. It's not about being good enough. It's about being born again. It's about rebirth. Birth is about new life. When my wife gave birth to our three kids, they were not carbon copies or better 2.0 versions of us. They were completely different. They were different, distinct human beings. That's what Jesus is talking about. And Paul echoes it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everything has got to change. You have to be transformed, not just updated. And you have Nick here, and he can't get out of the way of his thinking. He says, and Jesus is like, no, bro, unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. What does that mean, water and spirit? Jesus is referencing Ezekiel 36, which is a messianic promise of the coming Messiah. That would, that would this, this, this reference would like ring like bells in his ears because it's a promise of the Messiah that would come and cleanse them and bring about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, hey, I'm that. He's not referencing physical birth and spiritual birth. Some people look at this and be like, well, you're born of water, like in your physical birth and spiritual birth. No, he's referencing Ezekiel 36. And those two words, water and spirit, are linked together because they're meant to go as one complete action. See, in that passage, it says that he will pour out his spirit on the people as water. And the result of the outpouring would be a new heart of those whom the spirit comes upon. In other words, when he speaks about water, he's speaking about the new heart and the new spirit that would, that would cleanse us and make us new. When he talks about the spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So that when we believe, not only does that, what that means for us is that when we believe, not only does God cleanse us from sin, but he places our Holy Spirit in us. So what Jesus means, unless God has changed your heart, has transformed you, you've been cleansed by his work, and the Holy Spirit rests in you, you will not see the kingdom of God. It's not about your performance. It's about being transformed. And the transformation is about what God can do that man cannot. Not wanting to go to hell, wanting peace, joy, love, that's natural. I've never met anybody that says, I want to go to hell really haven't. I've never met anybody who was like, I don't want peace. I want war all the time. I want restlessness. I don't want to be loved. I don't want to be hated. Never met anybody. Those are natural things. What is supernatural, what is not natural is being forgiven. See, we can want those things, but we can't earn them. Romans 3.23 tells us this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us this too, that the wages of our sin is death eternal separation from God. But Jesus tells Nick, hey, I'm the one that can deal with the issue that you can't deal with. He, and he says in another place, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says in John 5, 24, he who hears my word and believes in the one who sent me does not come under judgment, but crosses over from death to life. 
None of that has anything to do with what you do. It's not natural, it's supernatural. Listen to me, guys. Jesus did not come so that we would stay in the familiar natural. Ask yourself this question. What is supernatural about your life? Or better yet, what can you do now because you walk with God that you couldn't do before? What is supernatural about your life that only God can bring about? But so often we don't get it. See, one of the problems that we have is we don't know how to talk about God in a way that truly represents the way of who he is. It doesn't capture the imagination. And when we hear Jesus can tell Nicodemus is not getting it, I mean, it doesn't capture the imagination of our audience and the people that hear it. And Jesus looks at him and says, Do it. like, look at the passage. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, don't marvel at these things. And he uses the you in plural. He's saying, you and the Pharisees, don't marvel at these things. And you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and, it, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. He says the Spirit is like a wind. It's this picture of the freedom of Jesus and the mystery of him, and that's not experiencing in most of the churches of America. Because in the church, we practice, we practice an ethics of avoidance. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't get somebody pregnant, don't do these things, just don't, 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 don't. And Jesus is saying, guys, if you're going to know me, it's, it's life. It's like the wind. You don't know where it goes or where it comes from. You can't hear it. But it's in this intoxicating liberation called Christianity. How do we live in this liberation that we've been given? How do we experience it? I think the Westminster Catechism is great. It says the man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think that's true. So if you want to know if you're experiencing a relationship with God, if you're in the Spirit, ask yourself the question, am I glorifying and enjoying God today? Yesterday, did I enjoy and glorify God? Today, am I enjoying or glorifying God? I'm not just like talking about temporal things. Like you can enjoy sin for a little bit, but then condemnation or conviction is going to come upon you. But the joy that comes from following God doesn't have condemnation and it doesn't have conviction in it. Because when you're following God, you're not sinning. See, guys, there's this wildly threatening Jesus looming on the fringe of your wildest imaginations. And the problem is not that God's boring, but you don't know him. You have a picture of Jesus as this hall monitor, this rule keeper, waiting for you to mess up. Your picture of Jesus is like your, your picture of your dad or your mom, like you are just never good enough for. And you couldn't perform enough to gather their love but that's not who he is. That's not who Jesus is, a God of mercy and grace. And he calls us into relationship. The problem is you don't know, Jesus isn't boring. The problem is you don't know him or you don't follow him. That's how the Christ life, the Christian life is. It's something so good that even, you can't even find words for it. The only way you can explain it is by showing it to someone. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? Jesus answers him, are you the teacher of Israel and it, you don't understand these things? Look at him, he's like, you don't get it? Oh, you thought, I, you, thought you were the good teacher. I'm the good teacher. You don't understand these things? Verse 11 says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. 
How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And the Son of Moses, and as the Son of Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Transformation happens through the trust in God, not self. Nick is trusting his tradition of what he's grown up in. When he says, how can this be? He's saying it because everything Jesus is saying is flying right into the face of how he's lived his life. Jesus is looking and saying, hey, you've gotten really good at playing the wrong game. And what it looks like to trust Jesus, he says right here in verses 10 through 15, 11 through 15, he says it starts with believing the testimony and the authority of Christ. It starts with trusting. He says what, it starts with trusting what Jesus has said. Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we, and he's referencing the Trinity there, speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I love how one guy summarizes, he says this, listen carefully, I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There's nothing secondhanded there, no heresy. Instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. I tell you things that are plain as the hand before your face, and you don't believe me. What use is it then for me to tell you things you can't see? the things of God. Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you rumors. I'm telling you facts. This morning, maybe that's the word you need to hear from God. That you've been reading the Bible, but you're struggling with trusting it. I mean, some of you have been standing on the fence for years. Going like, I hear the words God's saying, but I don't know if I believe them. It's some of you, it's time for you to trust what Jesus is saying more than the other voices you hear in your life. Trusting Jesus not looks like trusting his words, but who he is. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except one who has descended from heaven, the Son of God. Jesus is saying, I am that person. I'm not just a good rabbi. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm the Christ. I'm the incarnation. God put on flesh. Look at the evidence. You've seen it. Some of you need to trust who God is. You struggle with his acceptance because you think of him in just human terms. As someone has built a standard that you can't live up to. That's not Jesus. He's the incarnation. He's, he's God. We have to trust what he's done. Verses 14 through 15, he says, As Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whomever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is saying the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert in Numbers 21, that he would give a picture to those to believe and see, to see and believe, the Son of Man is going to be one day lifted up. Nick has to think about that day coming, but for us sitting in these chairs, we can look back to that moment where Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And being lifted up on the cross rose three days later. The question for you, is Christ work enough? Or do you have to keep trying to outperform God? Is it Jesus' work plus whatever I need? No, it isn't. His work is enough. 
And Jesus isn't done yet there either. In 16, he continues on. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whomever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's one of the most amazing points. The goal of transformation is life. Not perishing is all about avoidance. For some of you, the greatest motivation in your life is not to perish. All you want is not to go to hell. All you want is for Jesus just to be a ticket to heaven. And when you're in Christ, that is a done deal. Ephesians 1 tells us you've been sealed by the Spirit of God. You don't have to worry about that anymore. But salvation is not about avoidance. It's about much more about that. It's about life. Don't be content with just not perishing. That's not what Jesus came from, came for. See, when you're worried about just not perishing, you become like the kid that on freeze tag that like never leaves the base. You're like, I'm safe, I'm safe, yeah, I'm safe, I'm right here. But you never play the game. You never experience the joy of what it is to play the game. And you're missing out on life. Eternal life, guys, is not just your heart beating forever or continuous life happening forever, existing forever. It's much more than that. It's about a life that starts now. And Jesus has come to bring that life now, not just later. Eternal life, guys, is a life that is ruled by eternity. I love working with college students. Before I did this, I was a college pastor. And I love that. You know why? Because I got to take students to places like China. And every now and then, one of them would look at me like, man, I just want to stay here. And I look at him like, stay. Who says you got to finish college in four years? How amazing would it be for you to go to one of your classes and see the 68-year-old man in your communication class and go, dude, tell me what is your story? And he's like, oh my gosh, I went on a trip with my church to this place and God just placed this burning desire in my heart for these people and I just, and I just stayed and you know, I just stayed there and I labored and I spent time with them and my wife died about five years ago so I said, maybe I should just go back and finish my education. What a well-lived life. How amazing would that be? But you don't know people like that. But God's calling us to stuff like that. And here's the problem, guys. The life that most of you think you want, it's not going to satisfy you. It's predictable. It's feasible. It's safe. And it's radically nothing burger. Because what life, what, what people are telling you about is just keep your hand on the base. Play it safe. Play it safe. See, Jesus has said he's given us eternal life, a life ruled by eternity. What does that look like? It looks like depending on our relationship with God. The Christian walk is not the goal. It's the byproduct of following Jesus. The goal is knowing God. Christianity is the byproduct that happens because of knowledge and walking and following God. So don't get up. Like the worst thing you do is get up in the morning and say, I need to be a better Christian today. Instead, get up in the morning and say, how do I deepen my dependency and relationship with God? And Christianity, believe me, will happen as a result of that. Some of you, the greatest thing you can do is not get up and try to be a better Christian. 
Because you're like the deaf kid, guys, at the dance. You don't hear the music. You just look at everybody else dancing and do what they're doing. But you don't hear the music. Guys, one of the best days of my life is when I heard the music. God has come to bring life. John 5, 39 through 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and is that they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The goal is life. I'm asking you, this is the question I have for you. Does your relationship, do you have a relationship with him and do you have life? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather, to make much of you. And Lord, as we examine our hearts and examine where we are, there's kind of three people in my mind right now as I think about it. There are some in here who are desperately seeking the approval of you by what they do so they can have a relationship with you. And then there's some of us that have a relationship with you. The second group is some of us that have a relationship with you, but we believe that our intimacy is connected to what we do. And then there's a third group of us that think we can perform our way out of this. God, I ask that you would remove that mirage, that we would understand that it's not about our performance, but it's about our transformation. And that transformation comes by the work of God. And that is for the purpose that we would live into the life that God's called us to. And in living in that life, Lord, we would be a mirror to others around us, that the work isn't done by what we do, but what you have done in us. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. We worship you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.